What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. Episode three. Yes, sir. Episode number three of the Hive Jive. We're talking bees. And now what are we going to talk about here? The Langstroth versus the top bar, or was that? Yeah, this is episode three. Yeah. We're going to talk about how to choose your hive style and know what style of beehive is going to be right for what you want to do. So that is uh, coming up here in just a moment. Um, with this being the, the third episode, mm-hmm. I'm going to make a little side note here about episode number two. Um, that was information overload in no specific rhyme or reason whatsoever, and I yeah. duly apologize. That's well, all right. But because of that... No, I'm an um, information overload pretty much regularly. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> what we're going to end up doing, though, is we're going to kind of take that and we're going to break that out, and Wicked Bee is going to sponsor three bonus segments, and those bonus segments we'll go through and we'll break down just the queen, just the worker, and just the drone, and those will be kind of intermittently dispersed throughout there so that'll that'll kind of help clarify the uh the massive information dump (laughs) from episode two just call john and say john what i need to do (laughs) (laughs) i see what you're saying because the bee is completely a different the drone is completely a different the worker bee is completely different and we talked about all three in that all in one chunk and wasps and a few other things yeah so we'll go through and we'll clarify that and those will be there's no set release date on those. They'll just be kind of dropped in randomly. So you yep. might have a week where there's magically two episodes instead of one. Yep. So um, Now, on this, you've already set up social media. Yeah, we have social media. We're legit. And we have a website. And you can find all of them at The Hive Jive. So if you're on Facebook, backslash Hive Jive. Or if you're in there, you can search for at Hive Jive. Same thing with Instagram. Or sorry, it's The Hive mm-hmm. Jive. Um, and the website is The Hive Jive. Or or hivejivepodcast.com. Either of those will take you to the same spot. The website's under construction. It's got a flashy little splash page up there at the moment. It says coming soon. But the Instagram and the Facebook are both live, and we're posting little updates and little teasers on there as we speak. Now, we talked about the last time, then we talked about the, I guess, the colony. Yes, the colony itself. So the hive is what we what the bees live inside of. That's the actual definition of hive. So when we say beehive, we're referring to the structure. If you're talking about the bees themselves, that is the colony. Okay. So how many different kinds of hives are they? Oh, my gosh. Uh, too many to count. Too many to mention on the podcast. Um, for the most part in today's world, it basically breaks down to three or four main ones. Uh, the, the most popular one out there is the Langstroth. That's your traditional square box mm-hmm. that most people mm-hmm. see on the sides of the roads. The white boxes. Yeah, white there. boxes. Yeah. Or if you're creative, they could be rainbows, speckled, yeah. polka dot. Um, the next is the top bar. And then there is a waray hive. And every once in a while, you'll still see kind of more for dececoration, but you'll see the skep hives. Those are the old woven baskets like you'd see in yeah, the cartoons the ones that you see on the, on the jar of honey. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the little upside down. Yeah cone kind of looking things um, but those are the main types of hives but out of all of those today we're going to focus on the two primary which is going to be your langstroth and your top bar why would you want why do you want either one do you want the langstroth for this reason and the top bar for this reason or is it just yeah that's what i use i use langstroth 
I don't use Top Bar. Some of it is preference. Um, some of it may very well be that somebody gifted you something, and that's just what you had to start with. But if you're starting off from scratch and you're mm-hmm. going to be choosing what you want to do, then I kind of have a little setup where we can go through, and there are five key goals uh, or five key points that you can ask yourself, and based on your answers to those, it will tell you which would actually be better for you. If we started and we looked at the the Langstroth itself, if we went through mm-hmm. and we broke down what the Langstroth hive actually looks like, for those of you who may not have seen it, um, the main components of it, you have a bottom board, which is basically the floor of the hive. Mm-hmm. That's also where their entrance is, and a lot of times they come with a little entrance reducer or a, a board that slips into the entrance to kind of take the size down for them. Then you have your first box, and you'll hear that referred to as a brood box. Mm-hmm. It's usually a deep, if you're looking up sizes online and stuff. And they're a little bigger. Deep. They're wider than the others. They're deeper than the others. Yeah. Yeah. So from top to bottom, they're about 10 inches, and they hold deep frames, which are 9 and 5 eighths inches. Mm-hmm. So inside that box. And that deep box, that is kind of their living quarters. That's where they raise the babies. That's where they take care of all the day-to-day chores. The next box above that is usually called a medium or a super, and that's where you start getting into the super terminology. Mm-hmm. It's usually used for honey supers. Mm-hmm. Um, the first medium on top of your deep, which would then be your your technically your second box, that is their pantry. That's where they store all their food, and they, they have all their winter stores and everything in that box. Anything above that second box, three, four, five, and six, those are all yours. That's your honey supers that you get to harvest from. So would you use a queen extractor above? Of that one you could um, to it keep really, the queen from going up and yeah it really depends on your purposes i don't advocate using the queen excluders unless you're putting them on the very bottom and you're okay. putting a package in there um, you can use them if you're trying to specifically do comb honey or um, cut comb because mm-hmm. you don't ever want any larva laid in that because it turns the wax brown and, and it gets darker and starts to get chewier adds kind of a flavor to it and you don't want that on your comb honey you want it to be pure white okay so you could use it but if you're just doing regular honey you're not trying to do comb there is no point to have the queen excluder there um let her lay top to bottom in that whole hive and you'll have more bees to actually go out and forage and bring in more honey stores so okay so (laughs) the other the other last pieces of that you're going to end up with an inner cover which is kind of a separation like if you think of your house giving yourself attic space Mm -hmm. that inner cover does that and then you have a roof and they usually call it a telescoping lid because it just overhangs a little bit on the edges so if you if you went in and you got the initial setup, if you bought just the bare bones basic, you would end up with that bottom board, the deep box, the frames that fit in the box, and they come in either eight or ten um, size wise, ten frame or eight frame, and then you're going to have an inner cover and a lid. So that's your initial setup, and then anything else you add on additionally as you go. Okay, at that now, why what style should I use? Well, I mean, if I'm going to... We'll we'll get there here in, in just a second, because I'm going to ask you okay. the questions, okay. and then we'll go through and we'll see how you okay. uh, how you respond. And then at the end of it, we should be able to say, well, Ken, according to this, sounds like you should have that. I know okay. you really want this, but it sounds like you should have okay. that. <laughs> okay. um, so the second type of hive, if we go through and we break it apart, the top bar hive, if you use your imagination, think of a feeding trough. Think of something mm-hmm. that's four foot long, and if you kind of took a hexagon and you cut it in half, that's what you end up with. It's three wall. It's a it's a bottom and two walls, and they're kind of at an angle, so they make up the shape of half of hexagon. And across the top of that are planks or boards that are laid in there, and they've got a little groove with a drop down to them. 
That's where the bees build their comb on. There's no frame to it, so the bees actually build the comb freestanding just like they do in nature. And there's no additional pieces to it either. So once you start it and you set it up, it's one and done. You don't add additional things as you go along. It's on one plane. They're usually about waist high. And so you're dealing with this one long thing as opposed to a chimney stack tower um, when you look at the Langstroth versus the top bar. So components of it are a little bit different. There's a little bit of a learning curve to it, but they say that ultimately it's more bee friendly. It The way you manage it actually keeps the bees more docile. It keeps the hive temperature regulated better because you're only open up tiny sections at a time instead of the whole roof. So it's a, it's a completely different world and we think of it as new, but in reality it is based off the old Kenya style hives. So back in the day when they didn't have, you know, Mr. Langstroth hadn't actually invented the Langstroth box mm-hmm, hives. Mm-hmm. You had old lumber, you had trees that would fall, they would cut them in half, hollow out the inside, put planks across it, and the bees would build their nests inside of it. So that's kind of how your top bar evolved, was from the original styles of beekeeping. Do many people use the top bar? It is becoming, especially with like urban beekeeping, mm-hmm. and people that are this whole, you know, we need to save the bees and there's this big push for right. it. It has actually brought it back into the forefront. And because of it being a little bit more eco-friendly and bee-friendly, um, there's less bee deaths. There's, you know, less stress on the bees. It's becoming more and more popular from that standpoint. It, it work, They work great in your backyard and they can be decorated and look real cool. So somewhere in here, we're going to talk about a flow hive. We might. I might. I might. <laughs> might make you wait. I know that you are just like, that is your favorite thing in the world. Everybody sees that commercial and they just love it. That oh, was, yeah. It was the best commercial in the world. But you know what was missing from that commercial? What's that? Bees. Well, yeah, <laughs> they show this right. pristine environment, yeah. beautiful sunny mm-hmm. sky, honey's running out those tubes. Mm-hmm. There's not a bee in sight. No. Guarantee you that's not how that's going to go. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's break it down. Let's okay. go through here and let's see. So on the choosing your hive style, there are five questions that I ask people whenever they ask me, what should I do? The very first one is, what is your goal? If your goal is to go through and get honey, then maybe you should think about doing a Langstroth. Mm-hmm. If your goal is to get wax, you should do a top bar. Hmm. A Langstroth, you're going to get about 20% more honey because Hmm. once they build out those frames, they don't have to do it again. In a top bar, when you harvest your honey, you cut the entire comb. So you lose that comb resource and they have to rebuild the comb. But because of that, you're getting 60% more wax out of a top bar than you will out of a Langstroth. If your goal is to just, I just want to help the bees. I don't care if I get a honey harvest. I don't care about this. I just, I want bees and I want to help the environment. Then maybe the top bar, you know, would go back and would say maybe the top bars for you. So on yours, what what are your goals? Well, I want to help the environment, but also I want honey. So I'm not, you know, I don't know about the wax. Uh, we don't make candles, but I know you can sell it. So I'm. I'm going to say I want honey. You, you want honey. Okay. So then the next one's going to be what are your physical limitations? And this is very important because you could be very young and fit and, you know, fit as a fiddle and dance around. Yeah. Or you could be a little bit accident prone and you tend to fall and hurt yourself or, you know, you've got a bad back. Um, you could even have individuals that want to keep bees, but maybe they're handicapped in one way or another and they're bound to a wheelchair and they can't lift these boxes and move right. around. And the reasoning for that is because if you look at a, a Langstroth hive, that deep box we talked about, mm-hmm can weigh up to 90 pounds if it were solid honey. The medium boxes can weigh between 40 and 50 pounds if they're solid honey. And when you do an inspection and you've got five boxes, 
you need to get down to those bottom two boxes to find the queen, which means you're picking, twisting, bending, picking, twisting, bending. If you have any type of physical limitations or issues, it can prevent you from being able to do that. Why? Now, this is something when we had talked about this earlier, you was telling me, well, you got to hunt the queen up. You got to go do all of this. Why do you want to bust the hive apart to go find the queen when they don't do it in a tree? Well, yeah, they don't do it in the tree, but in that tree, you're not purposely managing the tree to get the most honey you possibly can from the tree. Okay. In your hive, if you're trying to get as much honey, you want to make sure that it's alive, it's robust, the queen is still healthy and laying, and that she's still alive. What if something happened to her and she died out and they weren't able to make a new queen? If that happens, your colony then becomes a laying worker colony and it starts circling the drain and there is no fixing it. The colony's gone. So now you had two hives. Now you're down to one. So now what you're going to do is if you have the hive and the queen's not there, can you put another queen in there? If you catch it soon enough. But to do that, you have to be able to break it down and get in there and look and see what's going on with my hive. You actually have to manage the hive because if you never know she's missing, you never know to put in a new one. So these guys that you see out there that have you'll see 15 20 hives on the side of the road in a bunch they're out there doing this once a week about once every seven to 15 days maximum yeah wow yeah it's a it's a little bit like i said if you can take care of a dog you can definitely keep a beehive but if you can garden that's kind of a better representation Mm -hmm. because in a garden you know every weekend you go out you pull the weeds you tend to the garden Mm -hmm. hoe up some rows it's kind of the same thing you can dedicate about 15 minutes per hive every seven to 14 days you're you're probably good so you're good there yeah and if you don't find the queen do you have to hunt the queen every time can you can you you see you know larvae are there you see eggs you know the queen's in there but you haven't found her if you can see eggs first it's a little bit challenging but if you can see eggs you know the queen has been there within two days and you're good if that was your goal was to find her Mm -hmm. if you can see eggs and you know that they're queen eggs and not laying workers which we will discuss that in another episode but um yeah then you then you know you're good so if you have any of these physical limitations that stop you then maybe you should actually look at a top bar hive because again that top bar hive if you're in a wheelchair we can make the hive exactly your height to where you can still manage the whole thing and you never have to be able to stand and sit and move and twist. And when you're doing the management of a top bar, it's one bar at a time. You're never picking up more than five to seven pounds. You're not picking up 40 and 90 pound boxes. But how are you, it's one bar, you just, it builds the honey between, from the bar down. Yeah. So in your mind, it's kind of hard to visualize, right? Right. So, So your bar is technically the ones I prefer are 19 inches long and you've got this bar across there. Think of like a, this is not a good representation, but it's the first thing that came to mind. If you think of a ruler or a paint stirrer and you turn it so it's flat, they're going to build their comb off of the bottom of that and they're going to keep it, hopefully, if you manage it correctly, in line with that bar. So when you pick that up, it's all directly underneath it. It doesn't turn and go the other direction. So you're picking that up and you're looking at it and then you can stick it right back inside the colony. How far are you keeping these bars away from each other so they don't build together? When you cut the spacing of them, the spacings need to be one and three-eighths of an inch exactly. There are some methodologies out there that say, oh, you should make these the one and three-eighths and you should make these one and a half because honeycomb can be bigger, but you should never actually do that. Keep all your bars exactly the same size, one and three-eighths of an inch, and bees 
they're so good at math. They like I, I suck at math compared to a bee hardcore. Um, they build their comb and they leave what's called bee space between every comb, and that's enough space for one bee on each comb to walk and just barely brush each other's backs. So if you know that spacing and you know how big an average comb is, when you put it all together, this is what Langstroth actually came up with when he designed his box. Uh-huh. He realized there was a such thing as bee space, and he figured if I build a frame that's this big and they build the wax out this far, I need this much extra space to create B space so they keep the comb on that frame and we apply those same principles to the top bar and if you have it measured out right then every single bar is an individual comb and they don't overlap and stretch out so now when you pull the top bar out you how do you get the honey out do you cut it yeah you cut the whole comb off you just cut it all yeah. off and then just squash it down or yeah, whatever we call it crush and strain um, it's a real fun activity for the kids if they want to get their hands in something uh-huh. and squish it all up but yeah there's there's different methods to it um, that'll be something that uh, that'll another, be another, that'll another be year class. two for you yeah. on this okay. whenever we go through and talk about honey extracting but, so, so that's your that's your second thing is what are your limitations on physical limitations now another limitation that a lot of us can, are concerned about is what are your financial limitations yeah and that comes into play because of like when we were talking about that Langstroth hive mm-hmm. an uh, original setup of a Langstroth which again is just the bottom board the box the inner cover and the lid mm-hmm. and the frames inside the box that is going to cost you a minimum of a hundred dollars if you buy it unassembled put it together and paint it yourself mm-hmm. if you buy it assembled and ready to go it might push up closer to 150 dollars for that setup mm-hmm that's not including your bees. That's just the box. Now, if you look over at a top bar, you can, if you're crafty enough and you have a table saw, you can build a top bar from scratch. You can do all the cuts. You can do everything mm-hmm. you need. You can buy all the materials if you're a little bit frugal about it for about $75. If you buy them pre-assembled and all you have to do is paint them, the bare bones, like the budget version that we sell, mm-hmm is a $200 top bar hive. But they have Cadillac versions that are cedar and they're stained and they've got observation <laughs> windows. I mean, it's ridiculous. Those can get up closer to $400. So that initial investment is kind of like, eh, right? But so, you switch back over to the Langstroth, that's when you started was one box. If your bees are doing good and they're building fast, within a couple of months, you need your second box. Mm-hmm. Every other box is $50. Bam, mm-hmm. 50 bucks. Here's another box and more frames, right? That's the first year you might get two boxes, you might have three. The second year, you're definitely going to add a minimum of two more boxes if you've managed it correctly. The third year, you may not have to add boxes, but you might need to replace a box because right. of weathering and whatnot. Right. So your initial startup on the Langstroth was smaller, but as time goes on, it keeps growing. On the top bar, it was a one and done. So if you bought that budget version top bar hive, mm-hmm. you invested $200 in your hive and you're done. You don't have to add another box. You don't have to add more frames. It's all inclusive. So the financial aspects of it can kind of change as the year goes on based on the type of hive that you pick. Now, the top bar is laid down and longer. Correct. They build, instead of building up box to box, they build long ways out as they go. Okay. Okay, I can see that. Okay, so this one, um, this is a downside to a podcast. I can't show you a picture, but um, this one, the, the next representation is what are your storage or space limitations? Yeah. Now, here... We don't have as big of a flow, nectar flow, as they do in some of the northern states. Mm -hmm. We have like eight months out of the year where we can produce nectar and honey, but we produce it in small amounts over that time. Whereas up there, they have like 45 days and they make hundreds of pounds of honey just bam out of each hive. 
Um, because of that, that means those, if they're a Langstroth hive, those boxes can be stacked to the point where you need a ladder. If like I went up to Saskatchewan, I was in Canada and mm-hmm. did a consultation job up there and their overwinter is one deep and one medium. It's the same thing we do here. But then at the peak of their production season, those boxes were nine boxes tall. Good they had gosh. to have step ladders to get to the top box. Good gosh. Now, when winter comes back around, right. all of those extra boxes have to come off and go put into storage. If you leave them there, you can actually kill your colony because all the heat is escaping to that very top box. And it also leaves a lot of space that's unguarded because right. the colony's shrinking, right? right? So you want to always reduce back down to just your deep and your medium. That's your permanent setup for overwintering and stuff. That means if you have one hive, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But if you've got 10 hives, that could be 10 extra boxes. It could be 20 extra boxes that mm-hmm. have to go go into storage somewhere. Personally, for me, when I get around 50 hives, I don't have a small warehouse (laughs) to put all this additional equipment. Right Now, if you're doing a top bar, again, it's one and done. There's never additional equipment that you buy to put on it, so there's never anything that has to be taken away and stored. Now, on a top bar, though, how do you find the queen? Same way you do in a Langstroth. You go comb by comb and look for You just go comb by comb. Yep. You just pick up each. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So okay. When, when we talk about a top bar versus a Langstroth, the term frame goes into a Langstroth because it is literally mm-hmm. a wooden frame with a foundation to it. So think of it kind of like a picture frame. Mm-hmm. In a top bar, instead of the frame, it's just the top board. So it's just a bar and it has no bottom or edges to it. But the word is interchangeable. So frame and bar, if I tell you to do anything with a right. frame, you can almost do the exact same thing with a bar and vice versa. Okay. Now, um, is there a queen excluder? Um, on the entrance only, there's a queen excluder. Okay. Um, but not necessarily inside there. Now, there are some people that are pretty... Uh, crafty and clever and they have taken plastic queen excluders and they've cut them and molded them to fit down into the angles of the top bar but again you really don't necessarily have to do yeah, that yeah. Um, even if you're like worried about well I want cut comb honey you can definitely get that out of a top bar and a lot of times like she may start off and she may lay on every single comb out there and have mm-hmm. babies everywhere mm-hmm. but then as those babies hatch they build more comb and you always have one or two pristine combs at the very back that they'll pack full of honey and you can get a little bit of cut comb honey out of so unless your whole goal is i want everything to be that then no you don't need that queen excluder now when you pull that top bar out and it's full of honey and comb you cut it out put it in your container that you're going to take and you take it and you bust it up drain the honey off melt the wax down and then you just take that empty top bar frame and drop it back Stick in it there. right back in the hive. We usually leave about an inch, like half an inch to an inch of comb attached to the bar because that acts as a guide mm-hmm. and it's already the, the direction we want it. And they can just immediately go and clean it up and then they, when they get ready to build more or expand, they'll just build right off the bottom of that. Where the Langstroth, you take it, you're going to have to cut that top off, put it in an extractor, spin it, drain the honey off, then you take that back and drop it back in to your box. Yeah, and the bees, now in that case, the comb, when we say drawn out, right. it means that they've actually expanded the wax all the way out and made a full cell out of it to store things. Right. So when you do the extractor, you're just scraping off the cappings or right. cutting off the cappings, spinning the honey out. The comb is still intact. And you take that frame and you put it right back into the hive. They'll clean it up. And if there's still a nectar flow going, they'll refill it. And that's where you can get that extra 20% of honey because now it it is the equation is roughly... 10 pounds of honey 
has to be consumed to make one pound of wax. So if they don't have to make that wax, that's 10 p- more pounds of honey that can go into your colony somewhere. Which is the easiest to to work in the field. You don't take a, a extractor with you for no. your life trip. Yeah, you the, have to take it home. Yeah, the field is this actually kind of the both, no matter what you're doing. If I'm doing my top bars, mm-hmm. I have five-gallon buckets, and I cut the comb right. straight into the bucket, put the lid on, it goes in the truck. Right. If I'm doing Langstroth's, I'll have an empty box, and the combs that we take out that are going to be extracted go in that empty Langstroth box, and mm-hmm. they get covered to keep the bees out of it. Mm-hmm. They go in the truck, and then the truck goes back to the honey house, and yeah. all the extracting happens off-site. So no matter which type you're doing, right. the extracting happens but elsewhere. You can also, but you can put the, the top bar right back in after you cut the home yeah. out. Yeah, home, we, home we out. usually, know on both of them, we'll put them right back. Um, we'll take them. Usually one day they go to the honey house. They may sit there for a day or two. We do the whole extraction process. And then on that third or fourth day when it's done, we take all of it back, frames and bars both, and we'll stick them back on the hive so they can clean up the residue before we put anything into storage. Well, I guess you could if you had enough of the Langstroth frames. You just have extras in your truck and drop them in there. If Yeah, if the honey flow was still going strong, yeah. you could always switch them out. Like, okay, I'm going to take this box and I'm going to put another box up there with drawn comb that's empty and ready for them to fill back up. Okay. Yeah. Or even the, even the frames themselves. Yeah. Where you take those out and just put some empty ones in there. You could, yes. Okay. Okay. I'm just sitting there trying to figure out, okay, which is going to be the less work. Yeah. Both of them. They're both, you know, in a lot of respects, are kind of the same. Mo- I'm saying if I was worried about the bees, I would say the top bar is going to be easier on the bees than the Langstroth. Yeah. And the top bar requires less equipment in the long run, too, because you can manage a top bar without a hive tool. You can use your fingers to pry the bars up and move them so you don't have to actually wedge and break things apart. Um, and you don't have to own an extractor, so you don't have to go buy an extractor to spin the honey right. out of these frames. You just cut it and use your hands and crush yeah, it. I'm just thinking of the guy that's that is listening to us and say, I want to do this in the backyard i'm going to say a top bar is probably going to be the best backyard yeah for a backyard beekeeper the top bar in this discussion definitely is going to be your best best bet and he can get this honey he can also sell his wax now so there's there's one more thing here on the five points and this one kind of throws a little bit of a curveball in okay. there so the last one is what are your time constraints and as we mentioned just a moment ago Every 7 to 14, 15 days, like I I don't want you to go more than 15 days. So every 7 to 15 days, you're going to need to be out there checking things, right? Mm -hmm. If you're doing a Langstroth, you have that frame and you have that core. So you've actually got a guide. They Mm -hmm. aren't going to build anywhere but right there. And Mm -hmm. they're building off of that foundation because it's got an imprint kind of stamped into it of the cell structure. Um, Top bars don't have that. The top bar is just a bar. The little groove or ridge down the center is the only guide they have, and you, you're the other guide. So in a top bar, you have to be checking it every seven days right. in the peak seasons where they're growing. Yeah. Because if the comb starts to get off just a little bit mm-hmm. and you don't fix it, which you can take your hand and you can gently push it back in line with the bar. But if you don't fix it, then it becomes an exponential problem. Then that it's going to connect comb, to the other one. Yeah, that little comb with a little curve here, the mm-hmm. next comb is going to curve more. The next one's going to curve more. And pretty mm-hmm. soon, they're going parallel to your bars instead of with the bar. And okay. you're going to have issues with that. So you do have to check a top bar more than a Langstroth. So if you're in a situation where they're going to be out on land and they're not in your backyard, and maybe it might be two to three weeks before you can get out there every time, then a Langstroth is probably going to be better because... 
it has a more rigid system to what the bees can and can't do. Whereas the top bar, top bar is literally a hollow cavity with these bars and they can get really creative. <laughs> so um, that would be the last thing is how much time can you dedicate to it? Now, how about if I will like Callahan's here in Austin? Well, if I wanted to get a Langstroth or a top bar, will Callahan's ca- handle... Which one would they would they so, probably have? Callahan's definitely has Langstroth equipment. Um, most of their stuff is all ten frame. So if you do have a hive that has only eight frames, mm-hmm. then you might have to special order that. Now we can talk to Callahan's about maybe yeah. getting separate sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking for a top bar, they have carried it briefly once but they don't currently have it in stock and it is something that we could actually work in conjunction with them and maybe Mm -hmm. you could do an order through them or whatever but we could try to get them to where they have some top bar styles in there but if you're doing the traditional the what most people do langstroth style beekeeping they have all of the equipment they've got the smokers they've got the hive tools they have uh like the basic veils they've Mm -hmm. got some suits gloves they've got smoker fuel and then they've got the actual hives and they've got the deeps and they've got the mediums but they're all 10 frame so again if you're looking for the eight frame that's going to be a little bit separate okay now i noticed that we still have stayed away from the flow hive yeah there it is i was wondering how long it's going to take you to come back around to that okay so the flow hive the flow hive when you see this this image in this commercial of the flow hive everybody loves it they're just astounded yeah, you by, just twist the yeah, thing they open up the honey in, falls out crank it the honey comes right yeah. out of the hive i don't have to do anything yeah, all you do is just um, put the little holes in there yeah. and run it into the jar and they they tell you you know it is it is way better on the bees because you don't have to do all the stuff that comes along with the regular beekeeping mm-hmm. um little side note funny story we did have a gentleman come into one of our organization meetings one time and he was very upset because he had bought a flow hive he put it together <laughs> he put it in his backyard no bees moved in it had been over a year and he still didn't have bees in it and he was so mad what's because he didn't put sign up Uh, yeah there was yeah (laughs) for rent (laughs) for rent yeah that's it free living um no you you do actually have to purposely put bees in a hive like they're not going to move into a brand new hive just because we say it's a beehive Uh it doesn't mean they think it is Um, but a flow hive so a flow hive, in all intents and purposes, is a Langstroth hive. Right. And that's why we didn't specifically touch on it at the beginning, because it's not its own hive style. It is a modification to how you extract the honey from a Langstroth hive. Now, flow hives are eight-frame hives. Mm-hmm. They don't come in 10 frames. They only come in an eight-frame box. So mm-hmm. if you have a flow hive and you want to add extra boxes, you will have to order online eight-frame boxes they are different size they are a different size yes okay Okay. so the difference in this and i'm going to tell you if you went and you bought a flow hive today Mm -hmm. congratulations you spent a lot of money they're beautiful take the flow hive and put it in your storage closet or in your garage (laughs) because you're not using it till year two so year one you're going to manage it just like a langstroth hive you're going to have your deep box when they get that 90 percent full right you're going to have to purchase a second medium box separate from what came with it it's got to have that you're going to put that on there and Uh they'll fill it up And then when they do, you will put a queen excluder on there and you'll put that queen excluder on top of your second box before you put your flow hive on top of that. And that is because the flow hive, that is a plastic, literally a plastic frame or comb. You twist it. And it's already drawn out. Yeah. 
the queen can never lay eggs in there because if she does, you will never be able to get them clean. You'll never get the chrysalis and cocoons and right. stuff out of there. Right. So you have to keep her from ever getting into that flow okay. sec- section. But once you put that queen excluder on, you put the flow hive on top, they go up in there, they fill it with the nectar, then you can put in your crank and you can open it and the honey will come out. But you have to manage that hive because how do you know when the honey's actually ready to extract if you don't ever open it? How do you know your queen is still alive and you don't have laying workers or all this other stuff if you never open it? You're still going to touch it every 7 to 14 days. It's just the extraction part that right. changes. Right, you don't have to get the, the, the spinner and you all that. You don't have to buy an extractor, right. exactly. That's the, that's the revolutionary that's the part right there is you don't have to buy okay. an extractor. Okay. So well, that's why we it, use you. We're going to call, hey, John, I need you to come over and extract the honey for me. Yeah. Uh, you'll hear a dollar sign, the little cha-ching noise in the background. I'll be there happy to come okay. do that. <laughs> so, so that, that I, that's kind of what I thought about a flow hive. It's the extraction part. So, but now, when are you going to get me my bees? Ah, dun now, dun dun. That's that, the is that next episode. That is the, that we'll talk about how to get your bees and all the different ways you can acquire bees in the next episode. Okay, there, there we go. The show might be over for now, but the sting won't last long. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast as we'll be swarming in with new episodes the first and third Mondays of each month. Until then, behave yourselves. Behave yourselves.